Welcome to the Positively Alive podcast. I am so glad you made it, and I can't wait to introduce you to our distinguished panel of speakers. This is a space where you will be able to learn more about HIV and AIDS, about the latest medical developments and the tremendous progress that has been made over the last couple of years. We will also elaborate on what it means to live with HIV today and how it is possible to live not only a healthy, but also a happy life. I have carefully selected our interviewees. Over the course of the next weeks and months, you will hear the voices, insights and opinions of policymakers, activists, influencers and some of the world's top medical professionals on the topic of HIV and stigma. There will also be the stories of HIV-positive people and their personal experiences on what living with HIV actually means to them. The main purpose of this podcast is to inform, educate and empower, to get the topic out of the taboo zone, to normalize HIV and to stimulate an open conversation. It is also intended to counter ignorance, prejudice, stigma and discrimination that is all too often affecting the most vulnerable people in our societies. This podcast is also a part of a wider online communication campaign about HIV and stigma. If you want to know more, please join our Facebook group at Positively Alive or visit our website at www.positivelyalive.org. Thank you so much for being here and for tuning in. I really hope you will find our content useful and purposeful. Looking forward to see you inside. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us on yet another Positively Alive podcast episode. Our guest today is Patrick Reintins. Patrick is a Belgian gay man who got diagnosed with HIV in 1985, when the disease was pretty much a death sentence. As a long-term survivor, Patrick has experienced the evolution of HIV and AIDS over the years firsthand, how HIV has become a chronic disease and how people living with HIV can pretty much live a normal life today. Patrick has been working as a field expert at Sensoa, Belgium's largest sexual health organization for almost three decades. As the country's most well-known activist, he has worked relentlessly to safeguard the rights of the LGBTQI community, as well as those affected by the HIV virus. Patrick is all for normalizing HIV, but definitely not trivializing it. HIV remains a chronic disease and living with the virus can still be challenging at times. Patrick also believes that there is no place for stigma and discrimination in society today, but also thinks that breaking the taboo and stigma surrounding HIV will in part have to come from the communities themselves. After all, there is still a lot of self-stigma, and this can be a serious obstacle to progress. So good morning, Patrick. Thank you so much for coming on the Positively Alive podcast today. I'm very happy that you're here and I'd like to welcome you uh, as a Belgian long-term survivor of HIV. And I'd like to start with the very beginning. You were diagnosed with HIV in 1985. This was a period when this news was pretty much a death sentence. And for people such as myself who also live with HIV, it's very difficult sometimes to fully realize how different the 80s were to today. So could you please tell us a little bit about your story and how you were able to deal with this devastating news at the time? I think, yes, uh, it was a different time. And uh, when I was coming to my doctor, I was 20, and I heard that I was HIV. They didn't speak about HIV. They said you had AIDS. <laughs> then they say, yes, you have a couple of years, and, and that will be it. And uh, it was very uh, scary. I saw also a lot of other people in the clinic who came there and were very, very ill. For me, it was all new. Eh? And 
I think what what helped me uh, a lot in the beginning it was my family eh? because they support me from day one and that was very important. Eh? Still, even now I hear eh, when people they get their diagnosed eh, in the beginning it's still a shock and and sometimes they they think oh I will gonna die in a while but it's now so important that there is a doctor in front of you that can say now HIV it's uh, it's uh, completely different than in the 80s or in the 90s. Yeah, absolutely. But I can imagine that back in the 80s, you know, you have probably lost a lot of friends and, and, and people that you knew from HIV and AIDS. How did you deal with that fear yourself? Because it mustn't, it mustn't have been very, very easy for you either. It was a tough period. Eh? And of course, not everybody with HIV is directly your best friend, but you you are in groups and you, you knew people. And yes, there's a sort of bond. Eh? And that bond is very special. And of course, uh, it, it's tough to deal with grief. And, and But what for me was important is that I have always the time to speak about my fears or uh, with other people. And I think that it's very important eh, that you can have some support from other people living with HIV or your family or friends where you can talk about those issues. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I think you touch upon a very important point here, because if I look at my own situation, I was diagnosed in 2009 and it mm -hmm. took me eight years uh, before I even spoke to a person who had HIV. So mm -hmm. and that's also because you kind of gently persuaded me, you know, to come to one of the weekends that you organize twice a year. And um, I must say that this was also, I mean, eye opening to me to sit down with people who have HIV, to listen to their stories and to be able to place my own story into perspective. Can you elaborate a little bit on the significance of those contacts between uh, people that live with HIV? Because a lot of people are still in isolation, obviously. I think it's uh, very important. First of all, I think when I see somebody with HIV, I say it's important that you can tell to one person in your instrument and that you can tell it to one person. But then afterwards, it's also important that you can tell it to somebody else in the same situation to see that you are not the only one. I think it's uh, very helpful eh, to see that you can have a, a nice and good life with HIV these days, eh? and I think that is important, that you also are a man, a woman, uh, that can have the, those dreams and that you don't have to stigmatization yourself, eh? because there is a lot of stigma around HIV, but for people with HIV, there is also self-stigma. Of course, you have to give people the time. Eh? You see some people... They hear that they are HIV positive from their doctors. They come to an organization, they go to a weekend, and it goes very fast. They are the, the strong people, highly strong. And, and after a while, they don't need it anymore. Yeah. From sport groups or, or something like that. And then you see that you have another category of people living with HIV. And in the beginning, they are afraid to tell it to, to, to somebody. And how longer they wait, how difficult, to, difficult how more difficult it gets yeah. to, to take that step in the future. And what I think very sad and now people living with HIV, it's a chronic disease, uh, you have a long life, eh, a long 
nightlife if you want. You don't get any infections like in the 80s or the 90s. But now you see that people are not uh, getting one of those infections like CP uh, or cancer or what else. But they get problems like depression. Yeah. And then you see that people don't can enjoy their longer lives. And then I think it's a little bit of pity. People want to take the step eh, if after the medical, eh, because it's important to go to your doctor and eh, to see your viral load and your TV forecast. But I think it's also important that you have a good mental support. And it's not always a mental support that you must go to a, a psychologist or so. A peer-to-peer contact is also a very healthy thing in that process. Absolutely. Can you can you just explain a little bit? You said that you organize weekends uh, two times a year. What exactly happens uh, during those weekends? I think it's important for our audience as well to understand what exactly are you doing there? When we organize the weekends, there it's for a group for 10, 15 people. And everybody there is, uh, it's not a, a therapeutic weekend, it's a peer-to-peer weekend. And okay. It's uh, the weekend that I do with our volunteers who also are HIV positive. And on the weekends, we talk about different topics, uh, what's uh, happening with, uh, with your life, now you are HIV. Eh? It's about disclosure, uh, how to tell to other people that you're HIV positive. Is it important that you tell? Why do you do it and why do you do not? About sexuality and HIV, but uh, also about uh, how to deal with the medical environment uh, around you and that you also empower people there, that you say to people, you have the right to ask uh, questions to your doctor and that you make them stronger. And it's not only about issues talking about HIV, but it's also laughing a lot. People <laughs> in the first place. Eh? Yeah. And we dance together and we do a nice walk around the beach. But it's a little bit the connection, making the connection between people. And I think that is the strongest thing about peer-to-peer yeah. weekends two times a year that Sensoa organized. How has the response been to these weekends, Patrick, from the people that attend? The evaluation of the weekend is always very positive. And you can say, oh, Patrick, eh, eh, of course you can say it's good eh, because you work for Sensoa and eh, it's uh, one of the things that you do. But you can uh, read all those uh, evaluations eh, or the testimonials from people on our website because that is uh, the best propaganda (laughs) that we can have that other people tell to other people, yes, you must do that eh, because the the, the weekend is very good. We get get also those signals from the HIV centers in in Flanders and Brussels eh, where we work together with. eh? And they send people to us if it's uh, not a positive evaluation. Yes, the doctors and the nurses uh, would also tell us that and they wouldn't send uh, any people anymore to to our organization. Yeah, absolutely. But I think uh, I've I've attended, I think, three weekends uh, so far and uh, Mm -hmm. they've helped me a lot as well. I have to acknowledge that. They really uh, allowed me to put my own story into perspective because Mm -hmm. for years I thought my story was the worst story of all and it's not. So, and that really, yeah, I can, I cannot recommend the weekends higher. I think this, they're, they're very, very good. Now, I'd like also to talk a little bit, Patrick, about the medical progress, eh? because 
when you got diagnosed with HIV in the 80s, people mm-hmm. used to take cocktails, entire cocktails of medicine, sometimes mm-hmm. even more than 20 pills per day. Mm-hmm. Today, I take one pill with, uh, you know, with three different types of medicine mm-hmm. in it, and uh, the virus is pretty much under control. Can you please describe a little bit for the audience as well how it was in the beginning when you were taking your medicine, especially the side effects that sometimes made mm-hmm. people more sick than the virus itself? In the beginning, yes, there was nothing. When I was in the beginning of 1985, every week I was going to the Institute of Tropical Medicine in Antwerp and they tried some medication that they used before to cancer patients, but it was too much side effects. And then they stopped it with the cancer patients, but they tried it then with people with HIV. Afterwards, yes, I, I was one of the first in Belgium that also took AZT, eh, but AZT was not so very, a <laughs> very nice product. After a while, you must stop eh, because it was, uh, it, it gave a lot of damage for your blood results. And afterwards, yes, in 1980, the concrete example, eh, yeah. I don't uh, really the exact year, but it was, it was in the, in the 90s. And then you had the combination therapy you know, of different medication uh, for HIV, and everybody thought, yes, we are there. But it was uh, really tough uh, at that time. And people, they took 20, 30 pills a day, and in, like you said, sometimes they were sicker from the pills than from the virus themselves. And I know a lot of people who stay at that time. For me, maybe I live 10 years longer, yeah. but it doesn't give me a, a real quality of life. So then I stopped eh, with the medication. And yes, it was a very, very tough and also a struggle to see, take the pills and to, to go on and to wait till there was something new. And because we know there was a lot of progress eh, in HIV yeah, yeah. research and in, in the therapies. So it was really a, a, a tough thing also a go between the medical world and, and the HIV community groups. But of course, now it's very nice eh, that you can bring up to people. Yes, you take one or two pills eh, per day and you don't have the side effects. Eh? There are a lot of people, also people who are not HIV positive, must take one or two pills in a day. So... I think on a medical level, we have reached a huge, big progress. And I think in the future, it will be even much bigger. Because now I speak about pills with, with three compliance in it, eh? uh, triple therapy in one pill. And now they speak also one pill with two combinations in one pill. And even then less side effects at the long term. So, yes. I think uh, we do a good job. Also, if you see in Belgium, the research that's happened here about the HIV cure, I'm, I'm very glad that I live in a country like Belgium, where you see all those uh, good things that are happening. Yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, yeah. I would also like ask people to also have attention for the people who are not living in the rich countries. And there are a lot of people who are still dying of HIV. And that's for me also an important issue. I'm an HIV activist 
as yeah. a rich country, but I will for the rest of my life, or still as long as I live, I will also be an HIV activist for all of those people who don't have the same rights that we have here. Yeah, I think that's very beautiful uh, what you say there, Patrick. Now, one of the things you've also said is that we should, even though the medical progress has been tremendous uh, and we definitely live a normal life as HIV positive people today with taking only one medicine, you have said that we should aim at normalizing HIV but not at trivializing. Could you a little bit uh, explain what you mean by that? Of course. I think to deal with stigma and, and taboo, it's uh, important that we normalize HIV like any else chronical disease. Otherwise, Yes, also for other chronic diseases, there are some problems sometimes for people who, who deal eh, with the disease. Also, the, the, the same thing with people who deal with HIV. They have sometimes a problem. You have different groups. Now, a lot of the, the time you hear the, only the happy, happy stories when you have videos of, of people. <laughs> I think, Jonathan, it's very good. Eh? But otherwise, we must be very honest to ourselves. We must also show to the other people how we get there. And yeah, yeah. for some people, it was a tough way. And that I think it's very important that we don't give the, the, the intention to other people. Although if I have sometimes problem with, with my HIV, then I'm the bad person. And I think we must be careful for that, that people living with HIV, still have the right to say sometimes it's a tough. And yes, uh, sometimes, even for me, after 30 years, eh, when you fall in love again with a new partner and you must have to say that you are HIV positive, it's still then sometimes something, yeah, that's not always so easy. I think we, we must have respect also for that. Yeah, so I mean, talking about disclosure, right, you were very quick, you, go, you got diagnosed in 85, you were very quick to disclose your status publicly at a time that it was definitely far more difficult than it is today. And I think the, the, the amount of courage you showed at the time is, you know, can only be applauded. I think it's, uh, that's really, really brave. But what, what made you decide to go public so quickly? And what were the initial reactions yeah. of the people around you? So when I had my diagnosis, I was working just in a factory in, in near where I lived in, in Willebroek. And because, yes, because uh, after my uh, study, and I start there, but then I get my diagnosis, and I know that I uh, uh, must go every week on Wednesday uh, to the tropical institute. But yes, I didn't can go to my to my boss and to say yes. Every Wednesday I need a day off because I didn't have proper education eh, on my job. I I thought I will tell to the doctor there to the uh, the factory eh, that I'm HIV positive and we will see. And then they fired me. Eh, of, of course, on the paper. Wow. There's some. It was not on the paper. Yes, you are fine because you are eight. You have AIDS. Eh? It was a, a real fight, but I don't go to details here. Eh? Yeah, yeah, okay. But I then I thought I signed all the papers that they and but I thought, oh, I do something here. Eh? 
that's not correct because I hear everybody, people with HIV are discriminated there and there, and it was all about uh, figures. Uh, uh, and, and I thought if everybody is keeping his mouth, then there will be no changing. Eh? Yeah, no, but nothing people, will change, exactly. People must come with their stories outside, and then we can try to change some things. And I think with everything, eh, role models are an important, they have an important role. Yeah. They, and, and role models, you don't have to be a role model to go outside on the television, on the radio. Even if you are open with your HIV status to your family and friends, then you are already a role model for me. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, I have a feeling that, and maybe it's just because I've recently disclosed my own status uh, publicly, but I have a feeling that more and more people are actually thinking about doing it and I'm actually also doing it. But obviously, everybody has his own time. Eh? So yeah, yeah. what what has the disclosure of your status meant to you? And what message do you have for people living with HIV who are also thinking about going public with their status? For me, I... Since I was open with my HIV studies, I didn't get weird reactions directly from people. Most of the time, the reactions that I had were always very nice. And very positive, positive, yeah. Yeah, very positive. So when people now think about coming out with their station on a broader or a broader audience, I say, yes, talk to other people who did that before. A look for support organizations, two individual other peers who are dealing with it. And I think if you take the step, I don't think you you regret it. I know now <laughs> more people. I'm very I'm very 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 happy for that that there are more people in Belgium coming out with their HIV status. I don't see that uh, afterwards that people. Say, oh, damn! What, what, what did I do? Eh? Uh, people are are glad that they they say I'm I'm feeling free and 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 yes, I can help other people with my story and that so gives me so a good feeling and yeah, I think absolutely, that's important. Yeah. Do it for yourself, but for the other. Yeah, and I think for me as well, you know, if if I if I can recommend anything to anybody who's thinking about doing it, I think what what it allowed me is to live only one life, you know, an, an authentic life, because yeah. I was living yeah. two lives, you know, and that's uh, that was my biggest issue because uh, you know when you that's what I felt. Some people don't know it, other people just don't do, and then you have like always that that secret somehow you you're carrying with you, right? And that secret is gone, and that's an enormous relief mm-hmm. for me. I can understand that a secret, yes, we have all our secrets, but it's, it's different. If you're living with a big secret, you are two people. Eh? After, after a while, people that, yeah, your family or friends, for example, they say, mm, there is something wrong, what is it? And then, then, yes, the bond that you have, maybe after a while they will be, be, be going wrong because you don't dare to to say things about your life who are important. Yeah. And I know, if, Ali, I, I see it every time, if people are enough empowered to do it, yes, it will go good reaction. 
I just I want to, to ask you a little bit more about stigma itself. No, uh, you're a, you're a, a, a gay man. I'm a heterosexual yeah. man. But, you know, there is a difference uh, when you talk about stigma. Stigma has a lot of different faces, right? Depending on the yeah. community, depending on the country, geographically and stuff. But how different would you describe a stigma really when you compare the homosexual and the heterosexual community? Mm. What is, in your opinion, the biggest difference there and the biggest similarities? I think, of course, if you go into the gay community where HIV world, because if you see it worldwide, then it's HIV uh, a heterosexual issue, yeah, but if you see in the, in the Western world, and there you see, of course, when in the beginning HIV was in the, in the 80s and the 90s, there was a lot of the support of the gay community, and the most yeah, yeah, of yeah. the HIV organizations are uh, starting up from the gay community, yeah? Yeah. After a while now, what, what I find uh, very sad in the gay community, now uh, there is more uh, HIV, more clinical disease. Yes, you see that there is less of interest in, in the team, uh, in yeah. the gay community. It's a bit in complacency. The uh, when on World AIDS Day, they were uh, ribbons and it was... Uh, Normally, that you do it now in some uh, in the local pubs where where people uh, gay people coming to wear the the red ribbon on World Aid Day to ask for solidarity. Yeah, yeah. It's less spontaneous than in the time that people are dying, but it's most of the time eh, there is more solidarity where there are, when there are big ramps, eh, where when there is an organ or. People are dying in a war, and then you have more solidarity, then everything is going yeah. much better. Yeah. And if, but, but, but I see in the heterosexual group, eh, there is a, a strong bond here, in, in, for example, in Belgium, because it's, it's, of course, the biggest community, the most of the people they don't know, eh, because there are yeah. even there less people coming out with their HIV status. Eh? Yeah. So I think it's important, and I'm glad that my organization will also do there. When we do campaigns, we will do also campaigns for a broader uh, public, eh, that we also reach the heterosexual public. Eh, and I think that's important. Yeah. We, 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 but I think it's also there to normalize HIV eh, in the phase of HIV. So we have now in the magazine a a magazine in Flanders that usually read read it uh, by women. They ask us, oh, "Can you bring us in contact with women or uh, who are HIV positive, or or or, or uh, women who live with somebody uh, who are partners in heterosexual uh, HIV positive men?" So that also people in that community can can see that there is HIV and that we must accept it. Yeah. Now, in uh, you, you've mentioned several times you work for Belgium's largest sexual health organization. It's called Sensoa. And, you know, one yeah. of the things you do is organize the weekends. We talked about that for the people living with HIV. You're also doing campaigns, organizing campaigns against stigma. What is the current focus of the organization, Patrick? Uh, what is it, what is it that you're most concerned about and busy with? For me, because Sensoa is uh, like you said, a sexual health organization. We are a big organization. 
but I work in the department for people living with HIV and their environment, uh, but also with professionals who work in HIV work together. Uh-huh. And there it's uh, what we do uh, now is we do a lot about uh, the USU message to bring it out. I think it's an important message uh, to say. Yes, when you take your medication uh, and your fire load is undetectable, you don't can pop the, the virus on uh, to somebody else. And then, yes, a lot of work is that uh, people uh, who still get uh, infected with uh, with their HIV, with HIV, that they came to us, and that we then try to empower them yeah. to speak with other people. Yes, the peer-to-peer contact and to train our volunteers. We work. I have a lot of respect for the volunteers who work here for Sensoa, and the most of them they are also HIV positive, and we must see that they get the best of the support for all the good work that they do here in the organization. That we give them the training that they need and deserve, and yes, all those. Things uh, are happening here in well, the organization. Uh, yeah, it's important work that you uh, that you guys are doing now. Um, in three days, we have the most important day of the year when it comes to HIV and AIDS. It's World AIDS Day on the first of December, Sunday. Is there anything specific that you guys have planned with Sensoa here in Belgium? Yes, we do a lot of uh, actions, collaboration with other organizations. Every hope, yes, we, we give some red ribbons at certain places in Belgium and in Flanders. There are uh, other actions that support the swim for life, where people swimming and uh, to get the raised money for HIV, and that we support also. Every year, for the people living with HIV, their self and their family, yeah. we do a, a brunch, an activity to, to speak and to, to empower uh, each other and to speak and the peer-to-peer contact that they, that's so important. Uh, it's a long list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there's, a, there's a, some, some amazing stuff happening. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very long list, but still happy that, uh, yes, that we get a lot of attention uh, for the World AIDS Day also in Belgium. Yeah, fantastic. Patrick, I'd like to end this interview with the last question. What is your message to a person who gets diagnosed with HIV today on how to best approach this new reality and then how to continue living with, with, with HIV in the future? First of all, take your time. Take your time. Share the message. Share the diagnosis. Don't stay alone with your HIV status. Take contact with another peer. You don't have to be sensitive. We can offer it, but there are also others who can offer you the peer-to-peer contact, but you are very welcome here eh? and that you can go on with your life. That's the most important message that I would give here. Okay, fantastic. Patrick, thank you so much for being on this podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you so much, Patrick Reintins, for an enlightening conversation about HIV in Belgium. Once again, I have learned a great deal, and it is especially the conversations with the long-time survivors that helped me enormously to put my own story into perspective. It has really been an honor to have you on the Positively Alive podcast. Thank you for all the work you have done as an activist for the HIV community over the years. I personally feel a deep sense of gratitude and humility towards you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you also to our listeners for tuning in. 
I hope you enjoyed this conversation and that you learned something. If you haven't done so already, please join our Positively Alive Facebook group, specifically set up for this global campaign. It is a place where we raise awareness about HIV and educate people to counter prejudice, taboo and stigma. Whether you are HIV positive or not, our growing community is for everyone interested in learning more about the topic and to share positive and uplifting messages. Check also the Positively Alive YouTube channel where we upload a reduced video version of this podcast interview with the most important messages. I would also love it if you review this podcast and share your thoughts across social media. Let people know that you subscribed to the Positively Alive podcast. The more it gets shared, the more people we will reach and that is ultimately the intention of this podcast. You can tag me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn and Twitter and let me know what you have learned from this. I am so looking forward to share with you our next episode. I also take this opportunity to reiterate and underline the importance of your personal financial contributions to this campaign. Never before in history have we been so close to a vaccine for HIV. Strangely enough, however, we see the national and international donor community pulling back, thinking that everything is in the pocket already. It is not yet in the pocket. We cannot afford a funding crisis right now, not when we are this close to ending the epidemic. A society without HIV where our children can be vaccinated against the virus, how cool would that be? And how much money this would save us as a society? So from a place of humility and love, please be generous with your donations. You can find the donation link in the text area of this podcast, on our Facebook page, on all our other social media channels and on our website www.positivelyalive.org. I count on you and so does the world. Thank you so much.